Welcome to Are You Real, episode 62. Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now, get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, before we get started today, don't forget we released our book last week, DIY Remodel Your Life. It is there to help you find purpose and passion for your life, answer the questions why you were created. It is a journal slash book to help you walk through the process of finding what you were created to do. So check it out on our website, areyoureal.org. It's on the right side of the page. Scroll down. It'll take you on a link directly to Amazon. And there you will find our book. It's also in the Kindle version as well. So thank you guys. It's been a long time coming, but it is out. And I hope it blesses you as much as it blessed me. So be blessed. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, and I am stoked for today's interview. So what was really fun, or going to be really fun about this interview, is I just found out that my guest I've already seen live in action at church doing prophetic ministry and didn't even know it. So that is totally hilarious on my part. So I'm really excited to share about that with you guys. We're about to jump into it. But without delay, I just want to ask, Michael Hatzmiller... Are you ready, my friend? I'm ready. Okay. Are you ready to roars the question? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So, Roar Nation, Michael Miller, it's not Hats Miller, we'll go into that later, and his wife Sarah reside in Denver, Colorado. After graduating from Texas A&M, he worked for a parachurch ministry called Young Life. It was during that time he developed a friendship with Professor Jack Deere author of Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. Michael then went to work for Jack at Wellspring Church in North Richland Hills, Texas, where he ran the healing ministry and traveled with Jack to minister to varying churches. In 2010, Jack was blessed by Jack and the Wellspring elders to do several church plants, prayer rooms with Freeland Ministries, now known as the Upper Room. He is currently pastoring at the Upper Room Denver and regularly speaks, trains, and ministers to churches, both locally and abroad. All right, Michael, I'm super excited. There's a lot to dive into. Man, tell me more about you, what you do, and your passion for the Lord. Uh, well, I think <laughs> I love the gifts of the Spirit. I think my time with Jack sort of lended a, I don't know what the word would be, I guess a, a just a hunger that was sort of insatiable. So I'm always wanting to see God do more miracles, see Him do more powerful miracles. And so the, you know, the opportunities, every opportunity I get, I take because I, I want to get the... I want to get this out there. I want to see what happens. And I want the testimonies because those things tend to keep me going and get me excited for more. Awesome, man. Tell me a little bit more. Let's dive into like early ministry, like you getting into that with Jack, I guess. And, and what's really interesting is I remember previous, and you guys are almost best friends, Jeremy Shuck, he had mentioned Jack Deere. And then I was going through my bookcase and found I actually have the book. Is it Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I found the book. I actually have it. I read it probably, I don't know. I bet it's been 10 years. I don't even know how long it's been. <laughs> I've had it for a long time. But man, go into a little bit about like early ministry. Sure. So 
I was a, I mean, this is kind of, I came from a rather mixed background. My mom was Jewish, dad was Mormon. I was a professed atheist by the time I was eight years old. All I in one I, house. That's a great combo. So you have yeah. Mormon, <laughs> Jewish, and atheist. Kind of, kind of. All go to a bar, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the start of a great joke. Well, so the, the parents actually divorced when I was about a year old. You know, dad took off around four. And so I was just an angry kid. I didn't know what atheism really was. I just thought it sounded intelligent. And so <laughs> I did. So when I was a 15-year-old, someone gave me a Bible, which you know I didn't know it at the time. It was only half the Bible. It had the Psalms, the Proverbs, and the New Testament. And so I actually started reading it, and I loved it. Everything in it was so counter to what I knew. But I ended up getting involved in an organization called Young Life. I worked for them for several years. And about my when I was a senior in college, well, one, I, I just I wasn't very good at evangelism. I didn't see a lot of kids come to Christ when I was working for Young Life. Although I did everything, you know, they told me to do, which was sort of a relational ministry. And I still love all the things they taught me. But I was looking at a, a high school across the street, going, "How is it that three thousand kids are going to come to know Jesus in one day?" Because you read the book of Acts and you see that kind of stuff happen. And so I started questioning, like, God, is is your power for today? Is that real? And so I, I prayed and just asked God for an experience with his power, which I didn't – I thought he was going to sort of answer that question, like, theologically. What I got was an actual encounter. <laughs> which is even better, dude. Yeah, yeah. The problem is I didn't – once I had it, I didn't know what to do with it. Yes, I started going to all these different churches trying to find out like, okay, how do miracles actually happen? Like I knew his power was real. I knew it was for us today, but what did it look like on a practical level? And so I had a really hard time going to a lot of churches that the packaging was just different than what I was used to. You know, I was such a, a relational person with, with Young Life and the relational ministry. And, I, and that's probably one of the things I've carried with me to this day. But I didn't know how to put the power into practice or, or even how to get power, you know, really. But I knew that that was how you win people to the Lord. I mean, my favorite scriptures is John ten thirty seven, where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, don't believe me unless I do the works of my father, which I don't know anybody who presents the gospel that way. Yeah. Like they, they give him this permission not to believe his message unless he's actually doing miracles. And we know that he's talking about miracles because in John 9, he's going to say, we must work the works of God while it is day for night. night is coming when the work will cease. And then he displays what the work of God is by healing a blind guy. So I'm sitting here going, you know, we're supposed to heal blind people. What does that actually look like? And our gospel, our message is supposed to be accompanied with some sort of demonstrative power to lend credibility to the gospel. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if Jesus needed miracles to affirm his gospel, then how much more do I? Unless I think I'm a better presenter of the gospel. And it's the same thing with Paul. You know, I didn't come to you with persuasive speech, but with a demonstration of power. With Paul the Apostle, needed miracles to affirm his gospel, then how much more do we? Unless we think we're better teachers than those guys. And so I was sort of on this journey to, to discover what does that look like and saw some stuff early on, but I wouldn't believe anything actually took place. You know, people would tell me they were healed and I would go, yeah, probably not. It was probably something psychosomatic. I found ways to easily dismiss it. Isn't that Isn't funny it? how we do that? Oh, dude. I, yeah, I was the worst though. I mean, <laughs> I was, I jokingly say I was the biggest unbelieving believer that I'd ever met. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and those who weren't healed only affirmed my suspicion that nothing was happening. So, and, and I was always just thankful that they were being honest, like all the other ones who said they were healed. And that was until I was probably 24 years old. I prayed for this family. It had a little, there's a little girl who had feet that were turned outward. You ever see anybody who sort of walks like a duck? Okay, 
Now, she asked me to pray for her knee pain. Now, I, I, I spent a whole weekend, honestly. This was like one of the most sort of gruesome weekends because I, I probably prayed for 100, 150 people, didn't see anybody healed. And I prayed for some of the worst things like terminal cancer, you know, autism that was so bad that the mother just had to hold her child and you know, couldn't let him move around. So, Michael, tell me this, though. How was that mentally for you? Because, I mean, I just want to be honest so our listeners can have a little bit of encouragement. Sure, I, sure. I, I've been there. And so I get it. But what were you thinking emotionally or mentally? You're praying, you know, for 100 people and you don't see anything. Oh, man, it was hard. It was really hard. I was heartbroken. And I was angry. Uh, I was angry with God. I did this for two solid days. And then on the after the second day, I went home and I I yelled at God. I said, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, but... No, I, said, I mean, it's it's being real because I think I've been there. I've gone down to my basement and just yelled. I mean, it's not like yeah. it's not like it's not in our heart. I tell people this. I'm like, God's not offended if you drop a and, and I'm just being <laughs> blunt. If you drop an F mom and you're upset and it's the overflow of your heart. Come on. It's already there. It's not like he doesn't know, but at least you're able to <laughs> yeah. get it out and have communication. And then once you spill it all out, then he's able to sit down with you and say, OK, now now we can actually talk. Well, I think I dropped many of those that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and that's always been sort of my perspective is that God can take it. I just don't know if other people can when they hear my story. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I yelled out to him. I said, you're the one who showed me your powers for today. I didn't, this wasn't my idea. This was yours. And I yelled at him and I said, I was angry with him and I cried and I fell asleep and I had to go back. <laughs> I mean, that was it. You know, I, I went back the next day to pray for people and was just sort of muscling my way through it. Just going, how can I get this over with? And, you know, I, again, I prayed for some of the worst things like terminal cancer. It was just heartbreaking, you know, and I, I still to this day don't understand the whole why some get healed and some don't. But I know that at the end of that day, the last family I prayed for, you know, there was that, that girl with the feet turned out, you know, she asked, she, man, this was crazy. She had this she had braces on, but I'm not talking like braces that just go on your teeth. I'm talking like headgear, like went all the way around her mouth. Yeah, she'd go into middle school. Can you imagine being a seventh grader and having to walk into oh, school? Oh, dude, that'd be like, terrible, man. Yeah, and that's what she wants me to pray for. And I'm sitting there like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, all of a sudden, you're like, man, I, I'm sick. I need to go. <laughs> At this point, like, I, yeah, I have no faith. There's no, you know, so I'm just, I'm like just trying to get through it. I'm trying to be kind. All the while, I'm just sort of boiling at God inside. And so I pray for her teeth and nothing happens. And I sort of haphazardly ask her if I can pray for anything else. And she asked me to pray for her knee pain. And so I put my hands on her knees and I pray. And strangely enough, I feel her knees begin to move under my hand. Now, you got to understand, I'm a fairly rational person. So I immediately start explaining away anything that could be power. I'm thinking, I'm thinking she's probably moving her feet or, or flexing her, her calf muscles. And that's why I feel her knee moving under my hand. But I, this was the other strange thing is back when I had an encounter with the Lord, when he showed me his power was real, I felt this like warmth. You ever take a, a sip of coffee on a really cold day? Oh, yeah. we, don't, we don't get a lot of those in Texas, do we? But, <laughs> you know, I, I was like that, but it went through every part of my body. And when I was praying for this little girl, I felt that exact same feeling in my stomach. And I thought, man, maybe something really took place. And so I just said, you know, why don't you check it out? Let me know if you, let me know if you notice any different difference. So she stands up and starts to bend down. And she says, you know, I can't really tell unless I'm playing sports, which in my mind, I'm going, yeah, naturally, you know, of course, you're not going to be able to know this is knee pain. And naturally, I'm not going to know because God doesn't 
give me miracles. <laughs> so, but then she looks down at her feet and starts crying. And she says, but my feet are straight. And then she starts literally screaming that out. She's crying. And the mother's in the room with me and her mother's looking down at her feet and she sees that her feet, daughter's feet are completely straight. I mean, the next thing I know, I'm watching this moment sort of get exchanged between this mother and this daughter where the mother's telling this girl to do all of her volleyball positions and cheerleading moves. And, and she's looking down on her feet the whole while just, you know, crying because her daughter's feet had actually been healed. And they start hugging me and thanking me. And I'm sitting there going, I didn't do anything. I didn't believe anything would happen. Like I, I felt all of this praise coming from them that was totally undeserved. I just wanted to get out of there. You know what's funny, Michael, is what it makes me think about is you had said you were at your you were at your end, like you had no faith. And yeah. what I think it's awesome about that is is it allows God to move in because and I'm just assuming here, but if you had all the faith in the world and all these miracles would have happened and that would have happened, some of that would have been like, Man, look what I did. Like I had, yes. I had all this faith. I did yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. And you're able to walk away from that situation and say, man, I didn't do crap. Like this has, I didn't even have the faith to pray for the girl for healing, let alone like do anything. So God, this is all you, you totally showed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe that was intentional by God. Maybe he wanted to bring me to my end so he could, so I could see that this is never going to be about me. I got back in my, my car. I had this old beat up S10 Blazer. Uh, the windows wouldn't roll down. It's the middle of Texas summer and my AC is broken. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in my car just sweating and I tell God I'm sorry. And I tell him that I'll do this the rest of my life. I knew that it had nothing to do with me. And I knew that it was real. Like this was something I actually saw. I knew what her feet looked like before. I knew what they looked like after. And I knew that I couldn't have made that up. And it, and it wasn't something the little girl was, you know, coming in for, you know, she was just, she just came in with this headgear issue. I just committed myself to God that day saying, I'll do this the rest of my life. Whether people get healed or they don't, I'll continue to pray. And so I was thinking of Jeremy Shuck also talking about some of his stories. Michael, I want to ask you this a little bit of your journey so telling the lord you know you want to do this rest of your life part of our show is about finding your purpose so will you take me a little bit down the journey obviously you're a pastor now but i want to back up over the course of maybe 10 or 15 years and condensed but stepping into you know you've worked with young life and jack deer's ministries and and then getting to go out on your own, now becoming a pastor. Go a little bit into like the pull that was inside of you. Like, did you know you were called to do this? Like, what were you feeling? How did you know? How did you get into it? Yeah, sure. Man, that's a that's a long history there. I honestly, when someone gave me a Bible when I was fifteen, that's sort of I knew I wanted to live like Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount was was so counter to everything I knew. He would say like, you know, forgive people and that kind of thing. I was just going forgive people. I was notorious for holding grudges. I hate some of that stuff that he said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Don't resist an evil person. Yes. Like, who applies that today? <laughs> right. You read some of that stuff. You're like, man, really, Lord? Like, I really have to, this is so opposite of my nature. Yeah. And so I just thought, I mean, t I didn't know anything. I was, I was green, man. And I just thought like, this is like following Gandhi. You know, this is like, I didn't really know that Jesus was the son of God. I didn't know I didn't know what the cross signified. I just knew I wanted to live like him and I wanted to follow him. And so, you know, and all those, all the understanding of that stuff sort of came subsequently. But yeah, for me, there was just no other 
desire. It was always ministry. It was to live like him and to bring others. And, and not to say that that you can't live like him and not be a minister. I actually don't believe that at all. But I think for me, I just wanted to know and teach the Bible. Like I wanted to to understand everything in there and help others to understand everything in there. And that be it. So that was a stirring. And so at 15, I mean, it just automatically stirred inside yeah. of you. So you started to go down that journey of anything that had to do with that, I guess. Absolutely. When I went to college, I got a degree in communication, thinking that I would be speaking in public and that kind of thing. And then... Did that help? I don't know. I mean, the communication degree, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but... Well, hold on. I think that's a key. And the reason I'm asking that is because people need to hear that. So you enjoyed it. So obviously, it was something that came, I would say, natural to you. So you kind of stepped... You, you went down a path that seemed right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. It was it was a natural fit for me. I think I, I gained a lot of tools on how people communicate with one another interpersonally. And I didn't realize at the time how much I actually needed help in that area. Still do. I mean, it's something I've always been working on. But so I, anyway, that 15-year-old me and then also having that power encounter when I was 22 and then seeing that girl get healed when I was 24. I mean, that girl getting healed, that, that set me on sort of a new trajectory. I knew that the way I wanted to do ministry the rest of my life was always going to be with power. I knew that at 22, but now at 24, I actually had an experience to show me it was real, that that, that was going to be norm. So you didn't have what I love about that, though, is you didn't have any, I'm going back to previous in our conversation, but you're talking about like you wanted to know the whys or hows, and God took you down a path of experience. And that that was my path uh, as well. But what I thought about, though, the difference between that is in the uh, New Testament, the difference between the Pharisees knowing about what was to come, yeah. literally seeing Jesus, knowing he was supposed to come, but yet rejecting him because they had all the head knowledge, but they didn't have any relational experience with him. And God took you down the path of relationship and experience. And then it took you, and then you got the knowledge with it later on. Yeah. Well, it's sort of both. I would actually say that at the time when I was a 22 year old, I was on my way to becoming a Pharisee. You know, for me, it was all about discipline, how much I read my Bible, how much I prayed. And the Lord just sort of he kept getting me back into relationship. And I think power is, when you start pursuing those kind of things, divorce from relationship, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. You may see stuff, but the joy in it is gone. Yeah. So, Mike, I want to go a little into, I think it was obviously a huge blessing for you to get to be part of Jack Deere's ministry that obviously projected you into what you're doing now, different things. But take me a little bit down the path of, I love jumping into hard times because I think it, believe it or not, I think it's inspirational for all of us because we all go through them. And sometimes when we feel like we're in that valley, that there is no hill. And is there been a time in ministry that's just been a really dark place for you, that it's been a really hard place? I want to go there ask you about that experience. Yeah, it's fun. Well, and I'll tell you why, because it it, it gives people faith. Because obviously, because I know the Lord, and I know He brings us through those times, and it's in a learning experience. Obviously, just like all through the Bible, we see those. So has there been a time that you went there that was a really hard, dark place for you? And I want to hear about like what God brought you through. Sure. Man, I'll tell you, the dark seasons I've been through have been largely of my own making. I'm serious. You know, I'm a my dad was, our parents divorced about a year old. Dad took off when I was four. I didn't see him. I didn't have him in my life until the week he died. So 
you know, you might as well had a tattoo branded on my forehead that said rejection. Or identity issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of the above. I was notorious for sabotaging every relationship I got in, whether that was with a mentor or with a girlfriend. Man, the closer I got to marriage, the more I started to sabotage each relationship. You know, I'm, I'm really blessed today because, I, you know, I am married. My wife loves me. I love her. She's one of the greatest women I know, and she sees it on some scale, but for the most part, God's helped me to overcome a lot of that. Well, I want to I hit that, dude, because that's powerful. I'm, yeah. Why do you think you were sabotaging? I mean, obviously, you've had time to reflect on that. Why? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the core of who I was, I thought I was only worth rejecting, that I wasn't worth loving. Now, I didn't know that. And like that was that was on a, some subconscious level. But I would find myself beginning to panic the closer I got to a girl. And so I would say there's probably two girls that I almost married and I sabotaged. I mean, I tanked those relationships. And the, the other problem was I, I, I'd sort of alternate between these two paths. I would either I was always going after the girl walking away. If the girl was walking away, then that meant to me that she was really worth pursuing. And if the girl actually liked me, then there was something wrong with her because, you know, I'm not really worth loving. So it's, so, so you can see how that creates a, a destiny of being single. <laughs> okay, I want to ask, ask you this. In, in that, you said not worth loving. Yeah. I, okay. A lot of people struggle. I've been there, and I think a lot of people struggle with that because of rejection, father, mom issues, things like that. What at what place did you overcome that, and how? Or or did you? Man, for me, it was a process. I think there were, you know, this this thing kept coming up. I, one of my another comforting verse for me has always been, "A righteous man falls seven times but gets back up." And the reason that was comforting was because I saw myself over and over blow things up. And yet God would still give me opportunities and he put me back on my feet. And what's also cool is that we're not defined by our mistakes. We're defined by what we get back up from. And that that's a huge comfort to me because I knew how many times I'd done horrible things. So it started probably when I was with Jack. Like I never knew how to talk about my emotions and my feelings. Jack sat me and Jeremy Shuck and a few other guys down and said, guys, we're going to learn to talk about our emotions. And we all thought this is the dumbest thing. And, uh, <laughs> and a group of guys, nonetheless, it was even yeah. better, right? Oh, yeah. I jokingly say he taught, taught us to talk about our emotions. And so that was the beginning of it, beginning to recognize that I felt rejected a lot, that I felt ashamed and I felt sad and that those feelings were an indication of something that I was believing. And then, you know, I went to a place called The Meadows to get some serious therapy. And it's a place for addiction and, and it's a secular counseling group. But it, it, man, it was incredibly helpful where I got to identify some of the trauma and where some of these lies started for my life, these lies about myself and who I was at the core. I was probably, I just turned 30 and I just tanked another relationship. And I had to really face this rejection thing. And I knew it, man, you know, I was, I call it dissonance, you know, where you, where you know something in your head, but what you feel in your heart are two totally different things. It's one thing to know that God loves you. It's another thing to feel it and to, to believe it on a, on a heart level. You know, I would, I verse that used to frustrate me and I would get so angry with people when they would quote this, uh, the truth will set you free. Yeah. Yeah. The truth will set you free. <laughs> or make, or make you really irritated and mad. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I didn't, what I didn't focus on was the part right before it. It says, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now that word to know the truth is like a Semitic term. It's used in, in the garden when it says that Adam knew Eve. 
meant they were intimate. So to know the truth means you know it on an intimate level, not some place lodged up in your brain. And so I started doing some serious journaling for about six months to a year. I would write down every time I had a, a negative feeling and I would ask myself the question, what was I thinking about? And the, behind those feelings were, were thoughts of self-hatred and rejection. And I knew what had to change was I had to actually go from a place of knowing God loved me in my head to believing it in my heart. And so when those those when I would start to identify those subconscious thoughts, I would then say, God, I'm sorry for believing that I'm not worth loving. And I thank you that you love me and that you'll never leave me, that you'll never forsake me. And I would wake up every day saying those words until I actually began to feel it and feel the truth of it in my heart. You know, it was a, a it's the renewing of the mind, you know, meditating on scripture. When that started to really take shape, I mean, here's a interesting way to look at it. Nobody goes to a battle having not trained for it. But every Christian does this. We walk into a, a mental, spiritual battle of rejection, abandonment, you know, without ever having done the proper training and meditating on truth. And so you're guaranteed to lose those battles. And so And then we're frustrated with God because we think we have that Christian stamp. And yes. it's supposed to work out and then God's just supposed to fix it. But the thing is we haven't done our part. Yeah. And so I had to do some serious work on meditating on truth. So this journal thing, I started developing a pattern for it. And now it's kind of cool because I get to walk other guys through this. This is sort of a side note and a little bit of a plug, but... Yeah, please. I've got a buddy who is a business guy and, you know, very savvy. And I, I took him through this process of journaling and helping him identify the lies and taking captive and meditating on truth. And man, he got freed up and he was so blown away by this whole process because it was something he struggled with his whole life that he approached me later. And he says, have you ever thought about producing a journal that has this process like clearly spelled out for people? And I thought, I mean, at first I thought it was kind of a dumb idea, but then after I, I talked to my wife about it and I'm glad, you know, at least I have her in my life to keep me, to slap me in the face when I need it and let me know when there's a good idea in front of me. And so we are in the process of developing a journal called the Overcomers Journal. You can find it on Instagram and all that, but the, the goal is to take people, help people overcome a lot of the bad thinking that they have that was probably produced from serious trauma, you know, like what I experienced with my father and the, the rejections that followed. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I want to talk about real quick. I, actually, my book released last week. And uh, oh, yeah, thank you so much. And that was you nailed the first chapter of my book. It's talking about the blueprint of your life. And, and what I did is I modeled the I've been doing building for 18 years, remodeling homes and different things. And I, I walk people through the, the uh, home remodel process as if it was your life. Oh, and, cool. and it's funny you brought that up because in chapter one, and, and I'm going to do a quick plug, it's free on our website, areyoureal.org. You can download chapter one for free. But what you talked about, there's a process and it goes belief, thought, behavior, results. Dude, that's and, exactly what I'm doing with this journal. Yes. I mean, quite literally. <laughs> and literally, and I tell people, I say, listen, if you're not getting the results you want and you keep, you see a repeated pattern, Okay, like you talk about your relationship. I've done the same thing. I was having issues in my business, uh, all these different areas. If you keep getting the same results, and for some people it's bad relationships, right? Well, you need to back that up. Well, obviously, when you go all the way back, you got to go to belief. And you nailed it, Michael, because you had the wrong beliefs. And as soon as we change our beliefs, 
We have to rebuild the structure or our foundation. And once we rebuild our belief system, then our thoughts are different, then we act different, and then we get different results. Bro, this is like, it's a neurological fact. You can, there's a book called The God-Shaped Brain, where they talk about what you believe actually changes the neural network in your head, quite literally. It builds pathways that produce emotions, and out of those emotions, we tend to behave, so... Yeah, that's crazy that you're literally writing something alongside what this journal is also going to do. Yeah, when you release it, we'll have to talk about it some more and bring you back on for people because it's so important. It doesn't matter whether it's my book, your book. There's so much stuff that's out there. And I read everything I can because sometimes you get a different perspective. You can have two of the exact same books on the idea of, say, a purpose, but yet get two totally different viewpoints. It helps you go deeper into what you're looking for in your life. Yeah. So, okay. So we kind of went down just real quick. Bring me out of the valley real quick before we go into. So you've, you started changing your thoughts, realizing your he emotions. Yeah. (laughs) And all that. What has been, just give me the flip side of that. Like once you did that, how did your life change? What did that look like? (laughs) I mean, you're talking like a 10 year process. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I don't want to definitely give, it's like watching the home remodel uh, deals on TV. It's like, Oh, they remodeled an entire house in an hour. No, yeah, like six weeks. So that being said, like you said, 10 years, my process, I I have a 10 year story just like you. It's, it is a long, hard, gut wrenching process sometimes, but the fruit of it at the end is amazing. But, you know, the thing about the rejection issue is the only way you're going to overcome it is by trying to be in relationships. So you, you need you need those things to get triggered so that you can actually deal with it. And so it was around this time, you know, six months into this this process of, of sort of learning how to renew my mind, I met my wife. She and I were we were at a wedding and I don't know, we, we, we started to connect and I just realized like, wow, I really like this girl. And so we went through this this process, but I would feel those rejection issues come up where I would think like, you know, she didn't text me back right away. <laughs> and I'd go, oh no, she doesn't like me anymore. She's she's ready to bail. And I would be like, oh, that's that same old, you know, rejection thing coming up. And I would just have to sit there and go, God, thank you that I don't I don't need a relationship to be happy, that I get to enjoy a relationship. Thank you that that I have a relationship with you and that you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And so regardless of what she does, I'm my life is still going to be complete. And so, you know, now all of a sudden I'm I'm not reacting out of that rejection issue and I'm giving her space when she needs it. And, and we have a, a healthy courtship and then a, and now into a healthy marriage. I mean, we still had to work through stuff just like everybody. I actually remember, you know, three to six months into the relationship, I'm calling up Michael McIntyre saying, hey, man, we got to meet with you. And she and I sat down with Stacy and, and Michael and, and worked through some of our stuff. And they were incredible, man. They, they told us both exactly what we needed to hear. And they're sort of a, he's one of the most blunt, honest, loving people I've ever met. Yeah, he's fun, man. He is yeah. a lot of fun. So now I'm married and my wife and I, I'm more in love with her today than I was when we got married. I think she'd say the same. And we have a beautiful son who's seven months old and we're having a lot of fun. Okay. So let's jump into giftings and strengths. So you are doing ministry. You're a pastor. What do you feel like your biggest strength and gift is in what you do? Man, at the the risk of sounding arrogant. <laughs> no, I think I think it's good for people to say that they're good at something because sure. And, and let me tell you why. 
so many times we sit down, people say, it's like we're gun shy as if it's arrogant or prideful. But what I found was, is I went through this class one time, we were in a room, there's about 20 people and they asked us to basically say the good things that I see about myself. Like it's easy to say it about other people, but when you got to look in the mirror and say, I like this about myself, you would be surprised. And I challenge anybody listening right now. And if you struggle with it, you have an issue. And and that's and I'm saying that in a loving way because I've been there and I have a hard time still sometimes. But if you can't say good things about yourself, there's a core issue there that's wrong. And we need to be able to say, dude, man, I'm I'm good at this because it's easy for us yeah. to say what we suck at, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think I just don't want you know those who are listening. I don't want them to miss me because of how I talk about myself. But I mean, I, I like me. I'm one of my own biggest fans. <laughs> So gifts, man, I I think I'm probably at the core. I'm a teacher. I love to teach the scriptures. I love to equip and train people into their gifts and their talents. On the side of that, I think healing is one of my primary gifts as well. I have an insatiable desire. Spiritual gifts. Yeah. I have an insatiable desire to see people made well, whether they go to the doctors or whether they get divine healing. But anybody who asks me for prayer, I pray for them. I just never, I never saw Jesus turn anybody away. And so... And not that I'm him, but I'm certainly going to become a lot like him. But yeah, those those two things I think are my my drive. I I'm, I come alive in front of people teaching them, or even in a one on one meeting, going through some stuff and discipleship. And then I come alive when I'm praying for the sick. I love that you said you come alive because I think that's a hint for people. Like when you step into something and you just feel empowered or juiced, or I mean, I don't care what you call it, but you just know that like I like this and it feels right. When you feel that, and if you don't know what it is, you're probably stepping into an area of what you're called to do. Yeah. Yeah. Jack used to say something similar to us. He would say, a lover will outwork a worker any day. So if you love what you're doing, you don't need any motivation to do it. Yeah, you just do it. Okay. So what do you feel like within your biggest strengths? Do you feel like there's a weakness that you've noticed with inside of those, uh, like in what I call an overextension of your strength? Yes, absolutely. I probably teach when I should just sit there and listen. I probably teach when I should continue just to ask questions and and share my own experience. Yeah, I find myself doing that everywhere I go. (laughs) And and sometimes I can be probably pushy on the healing. I want to see people well. And so, you know, you ask them if you could pray for them, that could probably make them uncomfortable. Whereas meeting meeting them where they're at, earning trust, developing a relationship, those are some areas I probably could work on. That's that's good advice, man. That's really good advice because sometimes I think we, out of our zeal for with our gift, we step outside of where maybe God's calling us. Like right there, like we're excited and we want to go pray, but maybe the Lord's saying, "No, that's not what I'm." You don't need to pray for that. Like for let's go back to your story about the girl with the braces. I mean, it's very possible the Lord can be like, "No, I didn't want you to pray for her braces for her mouth. I wanted you to pray for her feet because that's where I was at." for that yeah. at that moment. And and I'm not saying that was or wasn't the issue, but sometimes and I know in my life I've I've man, I've put my foot in my mouth more times than I can count. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yes. I mean, there's been many moments where I've walked away with a ministry team or something and you know, one of my closest friends looked at me and was like, "Dude, what were you thinking?" And I'm like, "Well, obviously I wasn't." <laughs> man, I my my wife has probably been the victim of this more than anybody, but you know, she'll have a time where I've done something that's hurt her feelings. 
and she'll bring it up to me, and then I'll begin to teach her on how that, oh, <laughs> which is like, you couldn't ask for a worse thing to do. I mean, a way for her to feel unvalued and send that message that you don't care. Like, Let me I, rub some salt in the wound. Yeah. Yeah, man. Sweetheart, if you listen to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said it in person too, but it's good that I say it publicly. <laughs> yes, man. And you know what's funny though, is I think a lot of us do that early on in our marriages or when we're young and it's just maturity and you just realize you're thinking, man, I really should not do that. And it takes somebody like a Michael McIntyre, somebody with wisdom that's older yeah. to, say, to look at you and, and not nicely say it, but like, man, you're really stupid and you need to shut up. <laughs> I pretty much did say something along those lines. I think he was a bit nicer, but there was still quite an edge and it needed to be an edge. <laughs> yeah. Enough to cut you, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's good. Michael, what is the biggest thing that God's stirring inside of you right now that you're either working on ministry-wise or doing? Man, there's a couple things. I'm working on a book. Uh, you know, I'm a little hesitant to say that because everybody has a book, but I, I am proud of what I'm writing. I'm learning how to actually write. I'm calling it the vulnerability, and then I'm going to have a subtitle, The Lost Attribute of God. And so I'm going to just talk about how God has been real with me and, and how I've been learning how to be more real with him. And and I'm gonna there's gonna be stories of miracles and all those kind of things. So that's a real passion project. I think it's gonna be I mean, I hope it's just gonna be an easy read for people. I'm keeping it small. I find myself like when I when I get a book that's like 180 pages, I tend to read half of it and then I don't read the rest of it. So I wanted to just and some of it tends to be repetitive. So I just wanted to write a book where it was that was very simple. And then also, I love the church and what we're building here. I'm excited. This this community is one of the, one of my favorite communities. They're they're so passionate and they're so, I would say they're very real. They know how to be vulnerable with one another and talk about their faults and then share in successes. So it's been real fun for that. And then some of the itinerant stuff I do. I love speaking to other churches. The last three engagements that I've had. God has given me names. He's given me words of knowledge and then seen some pretty demonstrative healings, like the the flat feet thing that you saw when you came to the upper room. Uh, I've had that happen multiple times. And, and man, that, that gets me just stoked. I get so excited about those things. I'm always nervous and desperate every time I get up in front of a crowd. And yet God shows up and I walk away going, man, you really are good. So those, those things. I'm going to call, I just came up with a new name. I'm calling it spiritual crack. Yeah, yeah. That might that might that might offend some people and I'm sorry if it does, but dude, there is just when you see God move and you know it has nothing to do with you and you just see God move in somebody's life, it is like a high like I've never experienced. I mean, it is a rush. Dude, I I got about three months ago, I had an email come in from a guy in Portland. I had been there like two, three years ago and administered to a guy who is partially deaf. He gets completely healed. And he said he just went to the doctor like three months ago and he's got the medical documentation to back it up. Now I was like stuff like that. I get so thrilled because so many people, they'll, they'll tell you that didn't really happen. It's an act. He's probably getting paid to do this, you know, those kind of things. And so when you get medical documentation that you can put in front of somebody's face and say, listen, God is real. He's good. He loves you. He'll do the same thing for you. There's nothing better to me. It is spiritual crack. <laughs> so for all of these out there, you need some spiritual crack. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but man, it's good stuff. <laughs> I love it. It's good, man. Okay, so do you have a book or something besides the book you're coming out with, which we'll promote when it comes out? Has there been something you've read lately that you would just recommend to our listeners that would help them along their journey? Uh, 
Man, I'm reading a lot of different things. One of my favorite books that's just come out like in the last couple of years is by a guy named Michael Heiser. If you've ever used the Logo software, he's one of the, the scholars behind that project. Almost every pastor uses it. But he wrote a book called Supernatural, and he wrote another book called The Unseen Realm. The Unseen Realm is more of his theological work, and the, the book Supernatural is, is more of an easy reader. But both of those books have really given me some, some backdrop for, for a lot of what we do in the spiritual battle we're fighting. And it's an easy – I mean, he, he's, he's a good author. He does a good job, and you, know, you find yourself getting through the book in no time. I read Unseen Realm which was this theology book, Three Days. Oh, wow. Just couldn't put it down. And there's some crazy ideas in there. I mean, he talks about all the stuff that every pastor avoids, like uh, Genesis 6, the Nephilim and the flood, the giants, all that I stuff. I love that, dude. That stuff is so fascinating, man. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. But as a pastor, I've never known what to do with it. And when I read his book, all of a sudden I'm going, wow, that, that is a pivotal piece of theology. I never knew that that actually affected the worldview of every every Israelite. You know, he, d- he dives into some of the genesis, the the early narrative, and the garden, and the impact that some of the words that are used in Hebrew that you wouldn't know have multiple meanings, like the serpent. He said that that's a was a triple entendre, meaning that one word should give three different interpretations. Tell me, I'm, I'm like you got me hooked right now. I'm like, okay, oh. I've never heard that one, so I'm really interested, actually. Well, every you know, every Hebrew word is just consonants; they don't have vowels, and so you they write the consonants, and then that one word could have, in particular, the the word nakash, which is the the word for the serpent in, in Genesis. Um, it could be translated three different ways. It could be I don't know all the Hebrew words; you have to forgive me. But because the vowels can be different, you've got a word that means serpent or snake. You've got another noun, which is the name of a location where bright and shiny things were, were harvested, like um, you know, precious metals and that kind of thing. And then you've got the third meaning, which was a verb, which was one who divines information. So a divine oracle or a giving of a divine message. So here you have a, a bright, shiny being who's carrying a message from God and ends up becoming the serpent, the lowest of all creatures. So when when Eve was hearing this temptation, she thought it was a divine message from God. So when it says that they were deceived, when it says they were deceived in the New Testament, it's because they quite literally were. They thought this was one of the angelic beings bringing them a divine oracle. I mean, Eve in particular. So anyway, stuff like that. He he does that all throughout the Bible, and you find yourself going, like, "Wow, I never knew that." But that makes so much sense. So, dude, that's probably, I'm excited. I'm gonna pull that book up, man, because I'm I'm excited about that one. Okay, Michael, let's uh, one question as we wrap this show up. You get to go back. To the younger you, you get to pick any age. You can't change anything about your future, but you're going to give yourself advice about what you're going to go through in your future. What advice would you give yourself and at what age? Uh, you know, so much of the, the lies I believe that, you know, I can see that God, I don't think he caused those things in my life, but I can see how he's using them today and I consider the price worth it. So it's really hard to give myself advice I mean, if anything, I would just try to continue to press the message that God really is good, despite what you think. I didn't really believe it, you know. It's taken, even though I was a believer, Christian at 15, I probably wouldn't say I really believed it until I was in my my early 30s, late 20s. But if I could tell myself that God really is good, and you know, if my younger self was looking at my later self, he might actually believe it. That's good. I don't know if I have a piece of advice. Don't take yourself so dang seriously. Relax. chill out for a bit. I was so serious about everything, you know. 
Yeah, I think we all do at a young age, man. I think as you get a little bit older, you start to look back and say, man, I just need to relax a little bit because it's just all going to work itself out somehow. I don't know how, but it's going to work itself out. Yeah. Because he, because the Lord has me. I think sometimes we just need to rest, and he says, just sit in his peace and just let him do his thing. Yeah. All right, brother, how do we find you, get a hold of you? I have had the privilege. I got to listen to you speak at the Upper Room in Dallas. You did a fantastic job. So if anybody out there listening, I do want to recommend Michael Miller to come to your church to teach on whether it's prophetic or gifts or anything. So um, that being said, Michael, how do we find you and how do our listeners get a hold of you? Man, I'm on Facebook. Find me there, Michael Miller. I'm on Instagram. We've got this the Overcomers Journal coming out. So you can look that up on Instagram. I've got a website called thomasministries.org. I need to revamp it. I'm a little embarrassed to send people there, but you know, it, it has a bunch of video testimonies of people getting healed and both live action and just their testimonies after the healing. And there's an email address on there where you can contact me as well. And then the upper room, you can go to the upper room.org or the letter U room.org to find me here in Denver. And then at some point I need to update my speaking schedule because I've got probably about one or two engagements every month for the rest of this year. So I really should let people know where that is. So that's going to be my, my new project today. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. And now you're under pressure because thousands of listeners are going to be listening and they might just click on and say, Hey, where do I find this guy? So now you got a little bit of pressure to go fix it. Yeah, absolutely. You like that? Uh, I just laid that on you. Yeah, I know. Thanks for that. You're uh, welcome. <laughs> I'm like the most non-administrative guy in the world. So task-oriented things drive me crazy. But I, I know that that's part of the job. So I'm trying to think. I'll be in Dallas speaking at the Upper Room on August 20th. That'd be a good place to connect. If, if anybody emails me or contacts me on Facebook, I always get back to everybody. I don't ignore messages. It may take me some time, but I always get back to it. So... Awesome. Well, Michael, man, it was a pleasure having you. If you just hold on a second as uh, we wrap up the show, man, you were such a blessing. Thank you for your stories. Thank you. I'm honored. Absolutely. Roar Nation, thank you guys so much for tuning in. For those of you, I just want to say thank you. Every week you guys send emails and stuff. I do have a backlog of emails I need to respond. So if you're listening and I haven't responded, I promise I'm going to get to you. And we've had a lot of emails lately of people asking about tests and the gifts, things that uh, that's in our intro and outro. Uh, we're revamping that. But I do want to say, if you'll log in on our front page on the right side, there is a copy of my book, DIY Remodel Your Life. We're giving away the first chapter. If you click on the link, it'll take you to Amazon. If you buy the book and you leave a review for me, I will send you for free another copy. If you do that and you can give away a book, I'll sign it. You keep the signed one, give away the other one. And also chapter one is literally a book in itself. It's to help you find purpose, change your thoughts. It is literally just chapter one in itself, I promise, will change your life. So please download it. Let us know what you think. I'd love to hear about it. And guys, we love you. Thank you so much. I hope Michael's interview blessed you. And just remember, at the end of the day, be real be authentic and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.